Election Day has officially given way to Groundhog Day. That's right, because Maricopa County officials have told reporters that we likely won't have results in two of the most pivotal races in the country, the Senate seat in Arizona and the governorship of Arizona, until next week. Now, initially, we were supposed to know the results on Tuesday. That's Election Day. Then they couldn't do that. Some machines were breaking, some people they couldn't count so fast. So then they said Friday. You'll know the results on Friday. Now it looks like it's going to be even later than that. Presumably the delay is being caused by supply chain issues in the delivery of new ballots for Democrat Katie Hobbs. I'm joking. I'm joking. YouTube, I'm joking. Is that a joke? I don't know. The delay though means that America remains a laughingstock. If any other nation on earth took this long to tabulate its votes, the U.S. State Department would be investigating that nation for subverting democracy. Here in the United States, however, they tell us, no, that's business as usual. That's just the way elections work now. And if President Trump's latest attack on Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin is any indication, we will be well into the 2024 presidential race before we know how the 2022 midterms finally shook out. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jack Straw, who says the only surprising thing about Trudeau's appearance on that drag show is that he wasn't in drag. I know that's true. That's going to be the next step, obviously, because, you know, people always have to one up one another when it comes to these kind of religious political rituals. And we know Justin Trudeau likes costumes already. So if he can wear a black face, he can wear a woman face. And uh, maybe that'll be for his next election. Maybe that'll be when he runs for UN Secretary General or something like that. The rest of us, though, I think we need a little more red meat. You know, I think we need a little bit more iron pumping in our blood, a little more strength. That's why you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, head on over to goodranchers.com slash Knowles. You know, I love spending the holidays with my family. And one of the ways I like to do that is with delicious meat from Good Ranchers. As a special gift to our listeners this holiday season, Good Ranchers is giving away two Black Angus New York strip steaks free with your order. These are two 12-ounce steakhouse quality cuts. That's a $70 value for free. You don't want to miss this offer. Let me tell you why. Black Angus tastes better and is more tender than any other beef. Black Angus meat is marbled in such a way that the fat is distributed thinly and evenly. This marbling gives it a consistent flavor that you don't get with other meats. Plus, The Black Angus from Good Ranchers is hand-cut and trimmed by expert butchers, so you know every piece is going to be exquisite. While grocery store meat prices are on the rise, Good Ranchers is dedicated to helping you save as much as possible. If you subscribe to Good Ranchers today, you can lock in your price and avoid these insanely high prices at the grocery store and get some free meat while you're at it. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for this special offer. That is goodranchers.com slash Knowles for two Black Angus New York strip steaks with your order for free. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. 2024 is on. NBC News is reporting that Donald Trump is in fact going to announce that he's running for president on Tuesday at Mar-a-Lago. I spoke yesterday uh, to a former senior Trump official and a uh, man who's still friends with President Trump. He says it is etched in stone. Donald Trump is running. It's not a fake out. Still could be a fake out, but everyone around Trump seems to think this guy is running for president. 
How do we know that it seems that he's running for president? Well, because he's attacking his rivals. I I was going to read his attack on Ron DeSantis first. He's got another attack on Ron DeSantis. First, though, I got to get, he's got one on Glenn Youngkin. So Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, (laughs) Trump tweets out this morning, (laughs) Youngkin, two words. Now that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? In Virginia, couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him telephonically. What? Got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. But he knows that and admits it. Besides, having a hard time with the Dems in Virginia. But he'll get it done. (laughs) So this actually isn't just completely random. This is in response to people in Yunkin world saying that Trump actually was going to be a drag on them and they were hoping that he wouldn't come to a rally and they feared that if he did a rally, that would actually throw the race. And so Trump has to come out. He says, I did a big rally for him telephonically. (laughs) What amazing diction. A big rally on the telephone. And uh, besides, you know, he'll get it done though. No big deal. And then that opening, Young Kin, that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? You have to admit that is an interesting take. That is, in fact, an interesting take. And then, of course, Trump is reserving most of his ire for uh, Ron DeSantis. So he's been attacking DeSantis now since just before the midterms, calling him Ron DeSanctimonious. Then he went back to endorsing Ron DeSantis for re-election. Then he attacks Ron DeSantis immediately, immediately thereafter. And now he's just unloaded on him. This is the statement. He released it again on Truth Social then sent it out as a press release. Statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the U.S. News Corp., which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post, bring back call, uh, is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state, but did, unlike other Republican governors whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, where, when I, when I yell, by the way, it's because it's in all caps, where people from badly run states up north would go to no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Ron came to me in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead, losing in a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, and no money. But he said, if I would endorse him, he could win. I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. When I endorsed him, it was as though, to use a bad term, a nuclear weapon went off. Years later, they were the exact words that Adam Putnam used in describing Ron's endorsement. He said, I went from having it made with no competition to immediately getting absolutely clobbered after your endorsement. I then got Ron by the star of the Democrat Party, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead by having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one. I also fixed his campaign, which had completely fallen apart. I was all in for Ron, and he beat Gillum, but after the race, when votes were being stolen by the corrupt election process in Broward County, and Ron was going down 10,000 votes a day, along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys, and the ballot theft immediately ended just prior to them running out of the votes necessary to win. How long does this tweet thread go? I stopped his election from being stolen, and now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asks him if he's going to run if President Trump runs, and he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, that's really not the right answer. This is just like 2015 and 2016, a media assault, collusion, when Fox News fought me to the end until I won, and then they couldn't have been nicer or more supportive. 
The Wall Street Journal loved low-energy Jeb Bush and a succession of other people as they rapidly disappeared from sight, finally falling in line with me after I easily knocked them out one by one. We're in exactly the same position now. They will keep coming after us, MAGA, but ultimately we will win. Put America first and make America great again. Whew. Wow, that was a long one. That was a long one. There was a lot in there. Wow. People are furious about this. People are furious about these attacks, especially this one, because this is just a full-on guns-blazing attack. He's doubling down on the Ron DeSanctimonious nickname. He's saying that he used federal law enforcement to go in and help in the election, which kind of might put him in a precarious position if the Dems do decide to indict him. But in any case, people are furious about this. And they're saying, why? Why, Trump? Why do you have to be like this? Why? We've got a good Republican governor. He just won re-election. It's two years out from the general. Why? Why, Why are you attacking Ron DeSantis? Why? Guys, guys, if these sorts of antics are the sort of thing that infuriate you rather than sort of amuse you, you got to find some other way to spend your time than to focus on national politics. The question that people are asking right now, they're pulling their hair out. They're saying, why is the Republican frontrunner in 2024, according to the polls, attacking his most impressive and threatening rival? Why? It just doesn't make any sense. What you, of course it makes sense. Are you serious? Of course, of course this is happening. But, well, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense in the polls, and I guess it makes sense in the you know, if, but come on, why does it have to be like this? It shouldn't be like this. Okay, but it is like this. This is politics. This is exactly what politics is, all right? And people are accusing me of defending Donald Trump. They're saying, Michael, you know, I'm, I'm like the only conservative pundit in America at this point who isn't going around passing out yard signs for Ron DeSantis. And I like Ron DeSantis. I love Ron DeSantis. I think the guy's a great governor. But I, I'm the only, I think I might be the last pundit in America on the conservative side who is not just, you know, lambasting Trump constantly and all in for picking a nominee for the 2024 presidential race two years out from the race. We're, we haven't even finished counting in the midterm elections. And I think, guys, good grief. Let the process play out. You're telling me that I'm, I'm defending Donald Trump. When I observe that the sun shines, am I defending the sun? When I observe that the rain falls, am I defending the rain? Donald Trump is going to fight to win the presidency again. That is a fact. It is very, very silly. It is a waste of your time and your blood pressure and your precious life that you have that is finite to pull your hair out and rend your garments over that fact. That is happening. Now, you don't need to enjoy that. You don't need to be thrilled about that. But you really should accept that. <laughs> that is happening. And no amount of yelling or whining or begging or pleading is going to stop that. There's, n- there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that any of the other potential 2024 Republican candidates can do. Donald Trump is going to do what Donald Trump wants to do, okay? And many of us 
have really liked Donald Trump and have really appreciated a lot of his policies and really got a kick out of his campaigns. We cannot pretend that we don't know this. We cannot pretend that we don't know who this guy is. I don't think we can even pretend that we're not sort of amused by it, at least on some level. I certainly am. It's just a fact, okay? And in politics, we deal with reality. We don't, you don't live in the pie in the sky in my ideal world. No, this is reality, okay? So we're in it. Why is the 2024 race starting? Because it is. Well, why is Trump attacking his rivals? Because that's what happens in primaries. That, it's happening, guys, okay? You can, either, you can either scream and cry and you know, give yourself a coronary over it, or you can just sort of take it as it comes <laughs> and, and laugh at the things that are kind of funny and wait to see how it should. Fight for your guys, of course. Fight for what you want. But we got to wait to see how it shakes out. This is going to be two years of this, all right? Don't, don't let it drive you crazy in the year of our Lord 2022, all right? Now, we're going to talk to one another. We're going to persuade one another. That's how primaries work. And when you want to speak to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk USA. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com, code Knowles. There is no reason, zero reason, to pay Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile over $80 per month for wireless services when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. With Pure Talk, you can get talk, text, and data that is just as fast for just $30 per month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores that you don't go to, perks that you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. Pure Talk, on the other hand, wants to keep you happy, which is why they're invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's also why they give you so many more data options, because why would they charge you for data that you don't need? I love Pure Talk. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting veteran-owned U.S.-based companies that have my best interests at heart. It takes less than 10 minutes to make the switch, and you can save an insane amount of money, as I am. Go to puretalk.com. Enter code Knowles to save 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, for 50% off your first month. Speaking of vicious political attacks, a man in the United Kingdom has just launched a terrible physical assault on the King of, of England, King Charles III. But because the man who attacked him is very polite, like all British people, he didn't attack him with a gun. He didn't attack him with a knife. He didn't punch him. He threw some eggs at him. You can see in the clip, it's on BBC. This is actually gives me a lot of respect for King Charles. The guy throws an egg, and Charles, this just extraordinarily dignified, stuffy old British man, just kind of gently looks to his side as the egg falls, doesn't blink, doesn't move, doesn't flinch at all. And the guy keeps throwing eggs at him terrible arm, by the way. It doesn't hit him once. But Charles, he doesn't duck. This wasn't like George Bush with the shoe in Iraq where he's kind of ducking the shoes. He just stands there and the eggs keep flying and Charles just keeps, you know, sort of, well, hello, how are you shaking hands in the line? It's very, very dignified. And it's good. It really makes me think, one, Charles is a lot manlier and more virile than I think people, including myself, would have given him credit for. But two, that's dignity. And, you know, American politics, not very dignified. Whatever else you want to say about American politics, it, it is not conducive to dignity. And it would be nice to have a little bit of dignity, just a little, little smidge of it, as much as we can possibly have in this kind of eccentric country of ours. When you look at Charles doing that, you think that's, that, that's 
quite nice. I actually rather, I, I rather like that. I, I wish that we had people who would stand up straight, and not flinch, you know, and kind of keep on, keep on keeping on. Keep a stiff upper lip, as the British have. Now, for the man who egged King Charles, uh, this man's punishment is, I'm not joking, he's a 23-year-old man, Patrick Thelwell. His punishment is that he can, <laughs> he can no longer carry eggs in public. Just like that, one of life's simple joys taken away from him. That's right. No longer can he carry eggs in public. But otherwise, he's basically off the hook. It's fine. No big deal. In this case, really, you would have to say the punishment fits the crime. You throw eggs at the king, you lose your egg privileges. That's very good. One of the problems in the American justice system right now is that the punishments don't seem to fit the crime. If you are a BLM rioter and you threaten people's lives and you loot and you steal and you pillage and you burn and you throw Molotov cocktails, you don't get punished at all. You get maybe a little slap on the wrist if that Kamala Harris bails you out of jail and then you go right back into the street and do the same thing. You get encouragement actually for your crimes from the, the libs. But if you're a conservative who, let's say, shows up to the Capitol Rotunda on the day that they're certifying the, the election, and you have a horn hat on, and maybe you take some selfies with a lectern in the, in the rotunda, and maybe, I don't know, you crack a Coors Light at the Capitol, you'll be thrown in solitary confinement. Your life will be ruined. The feds will go after you with everything they've got. Forget about January 6th for a second. If you have the audacity to say that you don't want your kid to be transgendered in the third grade, you will be called a domestic terrorist. You will be investigated by the federal government you'll be called a fascistic threat to our sacred democracy. It's a place where in, in neither case, for the left or for the right, the punishments don't fit the crimes. The, the leftists need to be punished much more harshly, and the conservatives currently are being punished far too harshly. Though there is, there is a case here that, that just came out, and no one's really reporting on this, but I think they should. Speaking of people connected to Prince Andrew, quite a segue. One of Jeffrey Epstein's associates was accused of doing all the creepy sex stuff with the underage girls. And he was accused by the main accuser, Virginia Jufri. And he, the whole time, maintained his innocence. He denied he had anything to do it. And nobody believed him. I believed him, actually. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt because I know him personally. And I, I just thought he was telling the truth. That would be Alan Dershowitz the famed Harvard law professor, Alan Dershowitz was, and to say Epstein associate is really actually overstating it. He was, he was Epstein's lawyer and every man is entitled to a defense in this country. And Alan Dershowitz has defended some of the worst people on earth. He, that's his job. That's his role in the justice system. He defended OJ. And so he defended Jeffrey Epstein. He said, I wish I never met Jeffrey Epstein, but every man's entitled to a defense. And I, I was his attorney and I don't regret it. Uh, I, I don't regret being his attorney. But when he was accused of doing weird sex stuff with Virginia Jufri, he said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I have never engaged in sexual misconduct. You know, for all my other sins, that's not something I've ever done. This woman is mistaken. It's not true. She maintained that it was true. Well, just this week, she dropped her lawsuit. She dropped it. She dropped the allegations against Alan Dershowitz. She said, I have long believed that I was trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein to Alan Dershowitz. However, I was very young at the time. It was a very stressful and traumatic environment. And Mr. Dershowitz has from the beginning consistently denied these allegations. 
I now recognize I may have made a mistake in identifying Mr. Dershowitz. This litigation has been very stressful and burdensome for me and my family, and we believe it is time to bring it to an end and move on with our lives. Now, some people who are more cynical or skeptical, they'll look at this and say, ah, I bet Dershowitz just paid her off. But Dershowitz says he did not pay her off. He says that no, no money has been exchanged here. She is dropping the allegations. And then Dershowitz says, as I've said from the beginning, I never had sex with, with Ms. Jufri. Uh, I have nevertheless come to believe that at the time she accused me, she believed what she said. Ms. Jufri is to be commended for her courage in now stating publicly that she may have been mistaken about me. She suffered much at the hands of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, so, so now Alan Dershowitz is dropping his allegations that David Boies engaged in an extortion plot and in supporting perjury. To, it was this whole complex thing. They were all just dropping it. Now, I thought if, if anybody didn't do it who was connected to Jeffrey Epstein, it was Alan Dershowitz. Not because he's not a man, not because he doesn't have red blood, but because that guy is just so buttoned up. That guy is just so smart. He's so disciplined. I just don't think he would have opened himself up to something like that for any, all of the other considerations as well. Uh, this raises a question here. Why is it, why is it that we don't know who actually did it? Why is, I mean, I guess we can strongly suspect that Prince Andrew did because they settled for reportedly millions of pounds out of court. But why is it that, okay, Dershowitz was all in the headlines, but now his accuser says, now nah, I think I was mistaken. Why is it that we don't have that little black book? Why is it, why is it that Ghislaine Maxwell, she's getting some slap on the wrist and as part of her prosecution, we don't know. Who, who was with Epstein. We know that this guy, we know he palled around with some of the richest, most powerful people on planet earth. But why is it that none of the people who did have sex with the underage girls, why is it that they haven't been held to account? Why is it that we don't even have their names for certain? This is the sort of environment in which someone like Trump really thrives. And there's a little bit of an irony here because Trump did know Jeffrey Epstein because Epstein was a member of his club, but there has been no serious allegation that Donald Trump went to Creepy Pedo Island or that he slept with any of these girls. Trust me, if there were any evidence of it, the Democrats would have been running with this for six years. It doesn't exist. Bill Clinton took dozens of flights with Jeffrey Epstein on the Lolita Express. You don't see any of those same kind of allegations about Donald Trump. N nothing. But this is the sort of environment in which someone like a Trump will flourish. And it's, it's even now, as I think he's burning a lot of political capital with people who would otherwise support him in these attacks on Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and everyone else, this is still an advantage that Donald Trump has that the other guys don't. Glenn Youngkin and especially Ron DeSantis, they are incredibly good, skilled politicians who are doing really excellent things and who I think have a good, clear political vision and who have a lot of political courage and a lot of political competence and all the rest of it. But the distinguishing feature here is Donald Trump, even still, even after serving a term as president, is not viewed as a politician. He, he did not work in politics. All the other guys who potentially could run are politicians, and they've been politicians, and that's their profession, and good for them. I think politics actually can be a, a perfectly dignified uh, profession if one does it the right way. Maybe that's a rare case, but it certainly can be. But this is still something that Donald Trump has. And so the more corrupt, the more insane 
the more nefarious that the political establishment seems, the better Donald Trump looks. And even now, even after everything that he has been through, even after the bloom might be off the rose a little bit, that is still going to be something that gives him a real shot in 2024, okay? For some people, it's going to keep them up at night. You know, for some people, it's going to give them a lot of stress. But when you want to sleep very well at night, you've got to check out Helix. Right now, head on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. With everything going on in the world right now, you could use a good night's sleep. That is why you need to check out Helix Mattress. I have had my Helix Mattress for, what, two years now at least? I absolutely adore it. Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They've got mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep a little hot, mattresses for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains, even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-sized sleepers. Are you nervous about buying a mattress online? You don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Because why would you want to sleep in my mattress? You know what? Don't answer that, okay? Sleep in your own mattress. Make sure it's custom-made for you. Go to helixsleep.com slash Take the two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. It will come right to your door for free. And then Helix has a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you're going to love it. They've got over 12,000 five-star reviews. It's absolutely fabulous. They've got financing options. Make it super-duper easy. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to $350 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. This is their best offer yet, so hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Knowles. Speaking of children... Eric Swalwell, the, the former future president, the man who would have been president if he wasn't one of the first people to drop out of the 2020 Democratic primary. Eric Swalwell, who infamously seems to have slept with a Chinese spy. Eric Swalwell thinks it's insane that you want to have a say over your kid's education. Eric Swalwell tweeted out yesterday, this was in response to Tim Scott, Republican senator, saying that we're putting parents back in charge of their kids' education. He says, please tell me what I'm missing here. What are we doing next? Putting patients in charge of their own surgeries? Clients in charge of their own trials? When did we stop trusting experts? Period. By the way, he didn't have a question mark at the end of that question, just a period. That's from expert Eric Swalwell. This is so stupid. So just in point of fact, patients are generally in charge of their own medical care that they go out and they hire a doctor. They go out and they find, they consult and they get different opinions. And then they say, okay, maybe I'll have this surgery. Maybe I'll have this procedure. And uh, clients generally are in charge of their own legal representation. They hire a lawyer or they represent themselves, but they're the ones ultimately in charge. But this is what they think of you. This is what they think. They think that not only do you not have the right to your right to keep and bear arms. Not only do you not have the right to free speech, not only do you not have the right to make your views known in the public square, not, you don't even have a right to raise your kids. Education means raising, raising up, means leading out, means it, it's not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's the whole process of forming a person of leading them. That comes from the the root for leading. And what Eric Swalwell is saying is, you don't have the right to any say in that. We do. I do. I, Eric Swalwell, who doesn't know how to use question marks, I, Eric Swalwell, am going to educate your children. 
Tell me what I'm missing here. If you don't have the right, some right, to educate your children, you don't have any rights. Okay. Now that's not to say that you have the sole right to educate your children. This, I think, is where conservatives go a little too far. This is where actually Hillary makes a point, at least in the title she chose for one of her books, even though she is perverting and misusing the aphorism that she is borrowing. It does, in fact, take a village to raise a child. Children are not only educated by mommy and daddy. Children inevitably are educated by their community. That's just what happened. Kids are just sponges. They take in everything. If something's on the TV, that's going to be educating your kids. If, if they're hearing something from their friends in the neighborhood, that's going to educate the kids. If they're paying any attention whatsoever in school, that's going to educate your kids. Kids are just sucking in information and behaviors and a moral view and a whole perspective on the world, all right? And so we need to defend our right as parents to have some choice in the matter. But that's not enough. We actually have to go further and wield political power, as people like Glenn Youngkin and especially Ron DeSantis have done, wield that political power to force a certain type of education on the political community. We have to force it. We have to coerce it. I know that conservatives sometimes are afraid of using those words, but all education is coercive. It, th- that's what education is. When, when the teacher says, Johnny, do your homework or you get a bad grade, Johnny, repeat after me, you know, the, the, the American Revolution began in 1776. So that's a fact. You have to repeat that fact. And if you don't repeat that fact, then you're going to get detention. Education is coercive. It has to be. And there's, it's a paradoxical because the purpose of education is to liberate oneself from the base passions and from our sort of slavishness that that we're born into in this world of sin and death and to uh, bring our base appetites under uh, line and and into accord with our rational will and to, to, this is why we call it the liberal arts, right? To make sense of our freedom and to use it in a way that is edifying and not debasing and not licentious. So that's the purpose of it. But in order to do that, we have to be coerced. And there's only so much time in a classroom, and there's only so many days in the school year. And so you've got to make choices about what to teach. Every minute that you're teaching Maya Kababi, genderqueer, you are not teaching Shakespeare or civics or the Bible. I guess we're not allowed to teach the Bible anymore or anything else that would be edifying. And so you've got to say, no Maya Kababi, no genderqueer, no critical race theory. We are banning that from the classroom. We are wielding the power of the state to coerce that out of the classroom. Yes to Shakespeare and math and science and true history and all the rest of it. We have to do that. In our private lives, yes, in our political lives as well. The Republicans who get that are the ones who are going to be successful. Speaking of young people, NBC has sounded the alarm, you see. There's this new show, New Amsterdam. Uh, I'm not going to play through the whole clip of this, but it's this whole long intro to this sort of medical drama of, of all these doctors running through the hallways. And they look up and they say, they see the news and they're all terrified and they're worried. And these men especially, they're so worried and they're so scared and they're so, no, no. And what is it? At the very end of this trailer, they're looking up on TV and it says, Roe v. Wade is overruled. It's so it's especially creepy when it's men who do this sort of thing. And it's it's so silly because you say half the country is pro-life. Why what 
the, the, the TV networks don't want to get half the country to watch their show. But that is educational. That is, people watch that. I was probably more comprehensively educated by NBC must-see TV when I was a kid than I was in my public school. All right, so we need to wield some control. You know, when, when Carrie Lake the other day, I hope she becomes the governor of Arizona, got to see if Katie Hobbs is able to import enough ballots, you know, in time by next week to see, to see who wins that race. But Carrie Lake, she said, when she was lambasting the media one time, she said, we're going to reform the media. And all of the squishes, they said, oh my gosh, that sounds so authoritarian. That's so, no, it's not authoritarian to insist on standards and to insist on truth and to insist on a coherent, edifying, good view of the world. That's not authoritarian, okay? The media educates, all right? It all plays a role together. The very fact that conservatives in recent years have drawn this clear distinction between the public and the private, you know, the government and the private sector, and the politics and the culture, as though those two things weren't virtually synonymous. No, there's just totally separate and politics bad and we can't do anything in politics, but culture, that's where we do everything. It, it, the, the, the fact that we drew these silly distinctions and then conceded virtually everything because of some misguided pretense of libertarian virtue or something, uh, that's why we lost. And the candidates who really rise to the fore in recent years, they have been the ones who are willing to wield political power. And I promise you, whoever gets that nomination in 2024, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Trump, whether it's Youngkin, whether it's someone that we haven't even heard of yet, because don't forget, folks, it's two years out before you pull all your hair out. The, the candidate that's going to rise is going to be the candidate who says, yes, if you give me political power, I will wield it. You know, there's a great show out on Daily Wire right now. It is called On Marriage, the exclusive three-part series from Jordan Peterson. It's on Daily Wire Plus. Uh, I, I think every single day I am truly blessed by God to have a wonderful wife and two little kids with marriage rates at an all-time low in the United States and a birth rate that is continuing to fall. Everyone needs to watch Jordan's show, especially young people. Statistics are also showing that young people are getting married much later in life, less frequently too. Now, our audience is not filled with Peter Pans, but just in case there's a few stragglers who are late to marriage and uh, family, consider this a pleasant kick in the teeth. Stop being selfish. For those of you married folks who've let time and work and outside forces get in the way, Jordan will also show you how to navigate through those moments and get back to that romantic fun adventure you had at the beginning. Daily Wire Plus members can watch all three episodes of Jordan Peterson's On Marriage today. If you're not a member, go to dailywire.com slash Knowles and join today. Remember, your membership really helps us prevent the total collapse of society as we know it. If that's not an inducement to join, I don't know what is. Finally, we have arrived at my absolute favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles to get 50% off your first month. First question up in the voicemail bag. Take it away. Hi, Michael. I recently had a very negative interaction with one of my friends about abortion. We argued about it and we had kind of haven't talked to each other since. Um, she made all the classic arguments about uh, how women should be in control of their own bodies and how women will die if they don't get abortions and women are going to get thrown in jail for miscarriages, all the classic arguments. 
And I tried to go on uh, with a scientific argument. Even though I'm a Christian, I know she would immediately dismiss my arguments outright if I used a religious argument. What I wanted to ask was, what would you say to someone like that? And how could someone who is a Christian argue with someone who's not a Christian about this issue? Love the show. Thanks. Great question. I break with many of my other conservatives here. A lot of conservatives say, well, I'm, I'm just going to make a secular argument. For, I'm going to make a rationalist argument for, for such and such issue because that's more likely to persuade the libs. I just don't think that's possible. <laughs> you, you can't make really any argument uh, that is coherent and logical by taking God out of it. God is the logos. God is the divine, Christ is the divine logic of the universe. And so in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. And so you're, you're not going to, you're not going to make sense if you take God out of it. You can't make a secular argument against abortion that is ultimately convincing. Because what's the argument? The argument against abortion is that human life has value. And therefore, we shouldn't kill innocent human life. Why does human life have value? Human life has value because man is made in the image and likeness of God. And because, even furthermore, because uh, God so loves the world and God so loves us that he gave his only begotten son such that those who believed in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And they sent his son to, to suffer and die on a cross and to be resurrected on the third day and to redeem mankind. So, that's it. That's why. And, and you can try to beat around the bush and say, well, you know, because of human rights. Okay, what, why do humans have rights? Well, you know, because, I don't know, because the UN told me so. I don't know. Why do humans have rights? Humans have rights because, I don't know, there's a natural law. Well, because we're made in the image of likeness of God and because there is a natural law. Well, who gives us the natural law? God gives us the natural law. And the, the fact that there is a natural law means that we can deduce certain facts about the world, certain moral realities, without necessarily turning to scripture and revelation. But you're not going to do it by denying God. It's just, it's just not possible. It's a, it's a fool's errand. And so I would just confront it head on. I don't think you need to accept the ridiculous and false premises of the left. Well, okay, let's accept your premise that God doesn't exist and we're all just a bunch of meat puppets and we're going to take a dirt nap someday and turn to worm food. Granted all of that, here's why abortion's wrong. Well, granted all of that, abortion's not wrong. Because nothing's wrong, because nothing means anything. So no, stick with your premises and convince, convince your friend of reality. Don't, don't pretend that the, the most important foundations of everything that exists just you know, doesn't matter, doesn't exist. Next question. Hello, Smokey Mike. This is Julia, your number one fangirl. I have no idea who that guy from last week is, but I'm your actual number one fan. So anyways, a little bit of background before I ask my question. One of my friends, who happens to be a fan of yours, has been really making fun of me because I like to read young adult fiction. I like to watch the old Pixar movies like Monsters, Inc. I really just find them entertaining, and I know that there's not going to be anything weird or gross in them. Um, so I was just wondering, um, is it okay for me to like these things and to admire them and kind of be entertained by them in moderation? Or do you think that's um, me kind of regressing like the weirdos who get adult Happy Meals and the women who are bawling their brains out all emotionally invested in some kids movie? Um, love to hear your thoughts. Um, have a nice day. 
Julia, it is wonderful to hear from you. I am so glad for those listening. I know my self-described number one fan. And so I say this in a spirit of great love and respect. It is regressing. It is. There was a great quote I was reading last night in a book by Owen Barfield, one of the sort of forgotten inklings who uh, C.S. Lewis described as, I think, his most important friend and I think the man who helped convert him to Christianity. And he said, after adolescence, the only alternative to maturity is puerility. That after you age out of the demo that Pixar movies are, are made for, after that, your only alternatives, your only choices are to kind of grow up and do the adult things or to regress and to seem not childlike as children do, but childish. Now that said, I've seen some Pixar movies in recent years. Okay, they're charming, they're wonderful movies, but the context in which I've seen them is that I've, I've seen them with my children. And so th- this is one of the little hacks. If you have nostalgia, as all of us do, for things from our childhood. And you they make you feel comforted, and they're very nice, and they bring up fond memories for you. You can go back to them. You can relive them in a certain way. But the way to do that is through your own children, and, and really with your own children. If you do it by yourself, it that's no bueno. That, that's, that's odd. But if you do it with your children, then it's a wonderful thing. Or if you don't have kids yet, which you don't, then, you know, it could be with your nephews or your nieces or, I don't know, the youth group that you lead or something like that. So I'm not saying that you you have to completely shut those things out from your life, but you have to have an appropriate relation to those things. You know, let's say someone really enjoyed 10th grade. You know, I don't know, they just really, 10th grade for them was great and they loved going to homecoming and they liked, uh, I don't know, whatever, the pep rallies. Well, when you're 25, you can't go back to 10th grade. You could become a high school teacher, and in a way then you get to, you know, be reminded of that nostalgia and and live some of those things again. But you're in a new position, you have new responsibilities, and you have a new vantage. So that's that's the way I would recommend it, because after adolescence, the only alternative to maturity is puerility. Next question. Hey, Michael. Uh, Got very excited when you started playing Dominic the Donkey the other day. I am an Italian from Connecticut, so I play that song year-round, but I agree with you generally that Christmas music should be reserved for close to Christmas. I lean towards December 1st. Anyways, my question is regarding kind of environmentalism. Now, I adopted your wording of the sun monster and you know all of their predictions are incorrect about climate change and global warming and polar bears dying. But I do, when I drive around mostly blue inner cities, see trash everywhere. And I think there is a difference between, you know, pollution and environmentalism and the climate change alarmism. So I was wondering if there's a way that conservatives could balance the two where we actually care about the earth, but also, you know, shoo away climate change as being ridiculous. I'd love to hear your take. Thanks, Mike. Love the show. Absolutely, absolutely. There are two big mistakes that people can make here, and they're sort of in the opposite direction. One is to worship at the altar of the sun monster and and to fall into all the radical environmentalism and to destroy civilization in this attempt to, you know, make Mother Earth happy. But the opposite error 
is to worship at the altar of capitalism and say that nothing matters other than ticking GDP up a little bit and getting some more greenbacks in your pocket. Both of those are stupid, reductive, materialist sorts of errors. Uh, really what we want is a good society. And a good society is, uh, needs a strong economy. And a good society needs a nice place. We need to have a nice place to live and you don't want trash everywhere. So that's what we want. Of course, we, w- we want to be stewards of our environment uh, for us because we are tending this garden of creation. Uh, we don't want to be uh, sacrificing ourselves on the altar of the Delta smelt or something like that. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's very easy to do that. That is conservative. I mean, to conserve nature. The first conservationists were conservative. There's nothing conservative about trashing your community so that you can add a few more zeros to your bank account. But, but there's also nothing conservative about destroying civilization so that the Delta smelt can swim a little bit more. As always, prudence and moderation and, and recognizing where things are in their proper place, that we do not exist to serve the natural environment, but the natural environment is here for us, and we are to be stewards of that. Next question. Hey, Michael. Name's John. Big fan of the show listen every day. Um, I have a question. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, not a Catholic, uh, but a Christian. I hope you can forgive me and welcome me in. But um, we talk a lot about God-given rights uh, on the the right, especially. We really like to cite those as a means for policy and and whatever else that follows. But um, I'm just struggling with the idea of what are God-given rights? Um, Where do they come from? Where do we learn where they are? It's obviously not a very effective argument to use against someone who doesn't believe in God. But aside from that, um, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says God gives you these rights. And if someone violates them, this happens. Uh, Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe it's interpretation based, but uh, I just wanted to hear about your thoughts on that. I think it's a very interesting conversation that nobody seems to have, despite everybody always citing human rights when they want to get things done a certain way. Thanks a lot. Certainly is very interesting. You'll notice that I don't use that language very much. It's, it is true Many, probably most conservative public figures prattle on and on and on about God-given rights left and right. And the the libs talk about human rights left and right because they don't believe in God. But I don't really use that language because that language comes largely out of the Enlightenment and comes largely out of the early days of liberalism. And you, you say, you know, things that are called God-given rights, I don't really see them popping up in the Bible or in the Christian tradition, and that, that's true. I, I asked, or I, I forget if it was me or a friend of mine, got to see, we both got to see Scalia when we were students. And one of us asked Scalia, do you believe in natural rights? So important to, certainly at that time, the way that conservatives were talking about the country. Do you believe in natural rights? And he said, I believe in the natural law. Because the, the idea of politics from the perspective of rights, whether they be positive rights or negative rights, human rights or God-given rights, but the, the, the whole idea of politics from the perspective of rights is a liberal idea. It's not a very conservative idea. The conservative perspective is politics from the perspective of duty and obligation and tradition and wisdom and justice and prudence. And so I think it would be much more, and I agree with you also, just as a practical matter, those phrases are not particularly uh, persuasive. 
We can go on and on all day and say, well, I've got a God-given right to free speech, whatever that means. I don't even know really what that means. Or the libs can say, I've got a, a human right to, I don't know, chop off all my genitals and make you pay for it and dye my hair purple and do whatever, you know, but it doesn't, that doesn't really persuade anybody. The natural law, however, is different because the natural law from which we derive a concept of natural rights, but the natural law is just the, the moral reality that we can perceive through the use of our natural reason and our moral conscience. And that, that is much more persuasive because people know that it's wrong to commit murder. Wherever you go, doesn't matter if they've read the Bible, people just know it's wrong to commit murder. We know, we know that uh, certain behaviors are just wrong. We have a kind of wisdom of repugnance. We have a, a, a moral conscience with which uh, we are mercifully endowed. And so I, I think that perspective is going to be much more persuasive. Now, the rest of the show continues now. Before we go, I want to thank all of our uh, listeners who've served. This is Veterans Day. I frankly think Daily Wire should have Veterans Day off, except I still probably wouldn't take it off because I would want to, I would want to join all of you. But that's really thank you so much for your service. I know many listeners to this show have served. Lots of my friends here in this building have served. Lots of members of my family have served in the military. So thank you very much for uh, putting putting your money where our mouths are <laughs> and going out and actually standing up for our country and uh, exercising courage, which is not just a virtue, but the prerequisite for all of the other virtues. So thank you very much. Have a good Veterans Day. Light up a stogie uh, for me. I will certainly light one up for you. If I see any of you around town tonight, I'll, I would be uh, very happy to buy you a drink <laughs> and a smoke. Uh, the rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it, okay? Because this is Fake Headline Friday. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us. 